You know the old saying, selling like hotcakes? What does that even mean? What is a hotcake anyway? They should change it to selling like Hondas, because right now, Hondas are selling faster than ever. Probably because they're so rugged, long-lasting, and fuel-efficient. And if you want one, you should get to your local Honda dealer right away. Check out the 8-passenger pilot, or maybe the adventurous passport. But you gotta do it fast, because Hondas are selling like, well, Hondas. New models are arriving now. Don't wait. See your local Honda dealer today. show with published authors, writers, and content creators discussing both the creative and technical sides of writing, as well as the industry surrounding it from novels to screenplays to comics and more. And now, here's your host, author Travis I. Sivart. Always have to wait to the trill at the end of the uh, keyboard there. Welcome to Right Night. It is uh, Saturday, May the 9th. I'm Travis Sivart. I am author of a bunch of stuff, but what I'm really excited about this week is uh, I got some bookmarks in. So I'm very Woo-hoo! happy about those. Yay! Yeah. So I can hey. spread them around and spread the love and the joy. Robin, how are you? Good to see you. Let me go ahead and let everybody else introduce themselves and their projects, either their current work or the book of their choice. So we'll just go around the circle. Directly above me here is Michael. Hello, everyone. My name is Michael Thompson. I'm an independent author and illustrator. And one of my works is Winslow Hoffner's Incredible Encounters. It's a folkloric fantasy on the high seas. I recently released the ebook version of this and the audiobook version. I just announced on my Instagram uh, that it's coming very soon. I recorded it. Uh, myself and did all the character voices, and I'm very excited. One, two, Fun five, stuff. <laughs> and uh, just over there beside Michael is Tempe. Hi, I'm Tempe Wade. I'm the author of the Timely Revolution book series, which is a time travel fantasy adventure series that takes you back to 18th century America and the Revolutionary War and the Culper spies and George Washington and all sorts of fun people. <laughs> Excellent. And then last but not least, just over here beside me, Aaron. Hi, uh, I'm Aaron Kennedy. I've been a technical writer for about 25 years. I'm the author of Persona Non Grata, uh, the first book in the Ships of Valor series. Um, That's me. Very good. Now, before we get rolling on the topic, I want to remind everybody that noise right there is meaning Travis wants to read some comments for the folks who popped in. Folks such as today, we have a Rabin Wright. a, a great streamer in his own right, no pun intended there, and I'm going to do a quick shout-out for him, as well as John of Conquest Publishing. Chris has popped Hi, in. John. Hi, John. on there on your screen. Princess Shiera says, it's been a while since I tuned Hi, in. Great to see everybody, and Danny Adventures have given a new congrats. Um, for anybody who is watching, don't forget, if you missed part or all of the show, you can pick it up on Many and varied podcasting places, including Spotify and uh, iHeartRadio and about eight other places. If you're listening on a podcast, there's Spacey Tracy. Hey! Um, if, you're, if you're listening to us on the podcast, don't forget you can join us live Saturday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash Travis Tavern Talk. There we go. I think I got it all. Is that everything, guys? Are we good with that? 
Um, the other thing yeah. I want to tell all of our viewers, live or after the fact, don't forget we have people on here who are attempting to live the dream of writing for a living. So if you're watching us live, make sure you click those links, share them with people, let people know what you think of these writers. And honest opinions are fair opinions. We like the honest opinions. What you tell people instead of just sharing a link makes all the difference. People listen to you because you're you, not because you put up a link. Um, and thank you for all the support. First and foremost, the support of just showing up. Oh, my God. We've already got almost a dozen people just a couple minutes into the show. And that is uh, exciting. Danny says, Waves, excited to catch another right night with you awesome folks. Danny was a great yeah. addition last week. Now, <clears throat> Tempe, Princess Shira is your friend, right? Yes. That's uh, Samantha Parrish, now, yes. did who is a writer, too. Samantha, go ahead and post a link if you like. And, oh, Sapphire Fox joined us. Good to see you. Um, any other streamers that are hanging out in chat, feel free to do exclamation point me, exclamation point M-E, and let each other see where we all come from just to support the community. And it's a little bit we can give back right now to all of you. Uh, Danny Adventures... Anybody know Danny, or is Danny one of the folks who just came from another channel and hung out with us? I think she came from another channel. I think. Okay, must be. Nobody's claiming you, Danny. You're all mine. <laughs> thanks, thanks for joining us, Danny. Absolutely. Yeah, whoever you are, we love you. <laughs> like yeah, said, you rock. <laughs> last week, Danny was a great addition with a lot of good stuff added in. Now, here's what I want to ask our viewers. What are you guys reading and or writing? Let us know in chat. I'm not going to read them all out loud for everybody listening and viewing, but let's create that conversation and that community right here in our chat while the four of us ramble on about other stupid stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, I've definitely noticed that, Robin. So tonight's topic is, because I'm done rambling, guys. Thanks for letting me go on there. <laughs> Booked movie adaptations, because this is something we have touched on a lot. Now, what I'd like to do in the creative hour is maybe talk about how we would take our own books and the changes making them into a movie. And then in technical mm. hour, look at every other movie, book to movie that we've seen that we just love or hate and why. And keep in mind the biggest change for me in my mind right now, when taking your book and putting it into a movie, you can't go into inner dialogue. And also, you can't spend three pages laying out a scene and that kind of stuff. Because that's um, one eight-second pan of the camera and the whole scene's been laid out. So it definitely takes content and makes it smaller. I couldn't think of the intelligent word. Uh, a point on that, Travis. Yeah. Inner dialogue can be done well. Uh, if anybody's watched the TV series Burn Notice, they do inner dialogue yeah. extremely well. Um the the lead character acts as the narrator for the shows themselves, mm. um, and it survives seven seasons. I, another show that does a really good job with that is Psych. Can we move? You know, this? Oh yeah, picking can, up the stuff like that. Yeah. Can we move this to a second hour? But well, <laughs> okay. no, I, don't know. I, hold on. I might be cutting this short. Quick, how would you do? Let's talk about your books. Taking okay. your books and making the movies because this stuff is definitely ties into both sides. I think creative and technical. Mm -hmm. So, no, I shouldn't cut it. I don't think I should cut it off. It's, uh, with narration, Aaron, though, you can't do that. 
a whole bunch. You can't, if every movie had narration, we would start going freaking nuts. Or TV series. It has oh, to be right, no, it, a rare tool. Um, absolutely. And um, the thing is, we want it to be different. We want to have other stuff pop in there and make it work. Uh, so in Psych, uh, that mechanic works great. Yeah. In Burn Notice, uh, the lead-in works really great. Um, hell, even Star Trek, Captain's Log, Stardate, such and such, mm-hmm. it's a narration uh, tool. And it's used sparingly, but it's used as a, um, a touchstone for you. So it's yeah. one of those things you hit it each time in a specific way, and it works well. Whereas if you tried to overuse it or use it incorrectly, it won't work. Um, uh, as an example, Winslow Ho- uh, Hoffner, he could end up u- using a lot of these things like a log or a journal, or as he's talking to um, the journalist um, in there. And it's kind of the lead into how things are happening because he's telling the story there. And then you segue into yeah. the events. Oh, definitely. I, I've actually I've thought about I've thought about this a lot actually uh, how how I would how I would translate it because and when you have when you have uh, when you have a film that that takes that takes those cues from from writing and 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 adapts some of those aspects it's kind of like how we kind of adapt some aspects of film you know like you know we have a, a cinematic idea like I I'm very influenced by pacing and. Uh, yeah. The, the current book I'm reading, he is constantly mentioning the lighting. And if you guys are familiar with filmmaking, they, they talk about the undercast lighting for villain and the overcast for yeah. hero. He is constantly describing how there's a light source below the villain and it just, you know, he's got the shaded eyes. So, yeah, we definitely can. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Uh, so there are ways we can take cues from film and, and adapt it to, to our work as much as film can uh, take cues from uh, writers. And well, a guy, a guy you knew in the Marine Corps, he uh, he was studying to do filmography, mm-hmm. um, and one, he, he said, "Okay, there's this great book, and it talks about how um, as people walk into a room, the lights turn on and they'll kind of stage in. It's automatic, but in a um, in a film, you can set it up to where it, things just kind of happen. Uh, Minority Report does a great job of this with." Excuse me, sorry about that. Um, with the advertisements, as he's walking through and you start seeing the things pop up that's targeted towards him, um, it, right. it's an interesting mechanic, and it's one of those things to think kind of out there. Yeah. Uh, Ready Player One does a, a, a pretty decent job of that. They're thematically the same, but entirely different books and movies. Yeah. Now, yeah. Tempe, you uh, were, I, I... Tempe had raised her hand like, couple minutes ago did you have more oh, to add no, to this? No, oh, I'm no, sorry. No. no, it's it's fine. I was just going back to what you were talking about burn notice. Uh, burn notice does an excellent job of giving the advantage, you know, the, from the perspective from a spy and why a spy does what he does and how he handles that. If anybody's never watched that show, it's a great show. Mm-hmm. And uh, but th- that that was a unique perspective that they went with with that and it worked very well for them and the same thing with psych you know the way they with with sean when he picks up on clues and it kind of dings and he zooms in on it he doesn't have to say anything he just automatically they just show it and that's how they 
you know, you pick up on it that way. So they did visual highlighting inside the TV show. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and, and I think probably as writers, we do more of, that's why a lot of stuff in books is the villain has to tell why he did what he did was because it's the easiest way to just get that information out there. <laughs> like they did in the old, old movies when they had to explain why they wanted world domination. Well, I mean, narration, exposition, um, dialogue and various ways to convey points across there. Um, and do you want to finish that thought before I read comments? Uh, the, I mean, these are all techniques that we use and it's just one of those, it's a great way to do things and it's all about conveying information. What's the mechanic that we're going to use to do it? That's really what it boils down to. In a few comments, Robin says, and much of setting an exposition can be, uh, become missing scene. The difference is that the director carries the load that the writers don't. And also, Danny says, inner dialogue, if it's part of the premiere or premise of the show, does okay, but certainly I don't want to hear from every main character. Um, IIRC MacGyver has the intros, problem solving via flashbacks that he narrates. Those shows what he's thinking about and how he makes decisions. A lot of mysteries do that. Um, mm -hmm. And let's see here. Princess Shiera says, you, the Netflix series, did an intriguing take on the narration idea, using narration to the advantage from a dark character with an accurate modern commentary of his stalking narration. Uh, can I throw back one old school because Please. I've been watching it the past few nights? Magna P.I. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. I think with narration... And, you know, in the bigness is done right we tend to adore it because it does give you that inner dialogue it connects you more to the character um just like in a book and i know aaron bringing it back to our books <clears throat> your book is all done first person so a narration uh, type feel or situation might be very appealing for yours um whereas with michael's i definitely see voiceover narration for certain flashbacks and scenes uh, particularly in uh winslow there yeah yeah that's how that's how i would do it i have i have thought about this and um now the main character it's it's written in third person limited so we can hear the main character's thoughts john the journalist um but i think where uh narration would come into play uh would be where john because in the in the book we are we're sitting like right right beside john and listening to the story and winslow's painting the picture uh, with his words through the dialogue. Um, so I, I would still want Winslow to tell the story, but I think we would uh, sound bridge uh, and and have his his narrate his voice narrate a then visual uh, representation actually actually paint the picture like what, what we are seeing in our heads as, as he's telling that story, but still have him tell the story because that's so important. And that's a way to seize the visual medium of uh, of the uh, of of the story, I also oh yeah in um in the in the second chapter, the trouble with mermaids. Um, there's a part where the audience has one idea of what he's talking about, and then he clarifies, and and so they all they all think that the, the mermaid that he's speaking about is, is beautiful, and then he and then he's like and he's like I never said she was pretty. This is a flipping fish girl, Keelan. <laughs> and then and then, it, and then the whole description changes. 
Um, so I think it would be funny if we were to convey that visually to have the, the narration, but then just have <laughs> have just the, the character morph into something hideous. You know, Michael, uh, yeah. I think a beautiful way to do yours is, first of all, episodic and, and a serial style, maybe on Netflix or whatever. Yep. But in the fashion of a series of unfortunate events where you can have a thought bubble appear and show the beautiful mermaid and then morph into this other thing. Or you can do the Scooby-Doo wavy lines and go back into a memory with the voiceover continuing and come back right to the current spot where you already were. <clears throat> and even have the interruptions and narrations of the dialogue of the other characters interrupting him as they ask questions and whatnot. And have the characters oh, yeah. in the flashback react to, you know. I think that could <laughs> Yeah, be it would be it'd be really neat. Um how would you which uh which of your guys's book do you think is is most prime uh for for adaptation uh which thing that you've written uh, I've done a lot of technical stuff so none of that <laughs> Aaron's uh, writing for National Persona, Geographic now <laughs> right but persona non grata would I think would work as kind of a more of a serial uh, type thing, but you end up with the Lord of the Rings thing happening there, where you're trying to pull in all this other stuff that's not in the books, mm. uh, in the Prime books, to make it make it work. And it would be a better TV show than it is a book. Um, it is where we go. Uh, the new project that I'm working on, I mentioned it last week, The Icarus Black, I think would work great um, as a serial. And then you do two books in a season kind of deal quick to the point and then move on. Um, Cause you can do the same kind of thing. It's a little faster paced and you get kind of that monster of the week or adventure of the week feel. Yeah. Yeah. But you, well, you all know me, mm -hmm. You the timely series, you know, I've got this all worked out in my brain. <laughs> Hold it out for Henry. <laughs> Hold it out for Henry. But are you looking at a series or a movie and why would this make, a good whatever. Oh, it would have to be a series because of the amount of action that goes on in each book. I mean, if I'm, you know, if I'm currently working on book nine and one book basically would translate to a series by the time you add all the Revolutionary War stuff in and the scenes and, you know, all of that, it would be a, a long withstanding series. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it would be interesting to see it see it on screen i think i think it would be fun um especially once it gets into book two with the magical stuff mm -hmm. and where you, you bring in all of this extra stuff and it, i even have uh, between maggie and her husband there's an they have a thing where they can hear each other's thoughts so oh, it would be interesting to figure out how to to work that in and, uh, you know, kind of like people who've been married for a really long time who can just look at each other and know what they're thinking, but they actually hear what the other says, that is other, the other is thinking. So, yeah, I, I think I think I think a, a neat way to visually represent that. Um, so it's not just like ethereal words. You could have them just sort of like in a in a black space, just pitch dark. And uh, and they're just kind of they're just kind of sharing space or. Um, wherever one character is, like the ghost of that other character could appear, a ghost of that other character could appear, you know, behind them and, and speak to them that way, follow them around and not have to follow the rules of wherever uh, they are physically. Um, so there's or also even just, yeah, or even just hear it like in their 
in their mind, like speaking, like if they're a mile apart and can and can hear the thoughts, just hear it, you know, somewhere from behind, you know, like like floating on the wind type thing, I guess, would be probably the I, best way to handle that. Well, I, I, I mean, go ahead. Okay. Danny asked uh, Tempe, do you have all the characters mm-hmm. cast? And Rabin says, quote, it was a dark and beautiful graveyard Frank found himself in, end quote. Gives character info about Frank that would be hard to convey via a camera. And right, then Danny yeah. also says, sorry to interrupt again, and then you guys carry on and build on this or whatever you're saying. This is good stuff. Danny says, some of my stories have telepathy too, so I think any internal thoughts that aren't speech would just muck up that mechanic. Would have to be shown via visual cues on the screen and some of the speech as well, if it's immediately clear by the look. Which reminds me, from my current manuscript, there's more ways to show more things visually instead of via internal thoughts on the page. <laughs> So, yeah, guys, on that that note, uh, Star Wars actually does that really well. Um, The episode eight, where we start seeing what um, Daisy Ridley and friggin Adam Driver, uh, their kind of merged consciousness where they're not the same place. They're kind of force projecting or even going back to episode uh, five and six, where we see. Space Jesus. <laughs> um, ben Kenobi. Thank you. <laughs> ben Kenobi in uh, ghost form. Um, we see these things and him doing that. It's once, oh, we got... Even in episode four, either... you had the voice in the head, run, Luke. You know. Yeah, ex- exactly. <clears throat> uh, and we knew it was a voice in his head or mm-hmm. uh, during the friggin' the fighter scene, we knew that he was either having a psychotic break or he was, uh, which isn't a bad thing. It's just one well, of those. Yes, it is. <laughs> but not that we knew it. <laughs> well, in terms of the Don't story, judge. Yeah. in terms of the story, uh, he could either be like remembering his master or, you know, it, it's good that you could have that. It can be interpreted in more than one way. Do you think anybody... so? going back? Go ahead, Tempe. Oh, sorry. No, no, I was going back to Danny's question. Yes. That she asked. Mm-hmm. Um, or he's yeah, do you, do you want my dream cast? If you want my dream cast, I'll name it all. <laughs> no, but go ahead. So, yeah. Oh, let's hear it. <laughs> hear it. Let's hear it. So, okay, I do not have anybody picked out for the female lead. I haven't figured out anybody for that one yet. Um, okay. But for um, Gabe, which is the British Revolutionary War soldier, is Henry Cavill. For Major John Andre, I have Tom Hiddleston. For uh, Duncan, I have um, Jason Momoa, because he's the Scottish Highlander. For Quinn, who is his little brother, I have Adam Crosdell picked out. So, yeah, I've been giving this a little bit of thought. (laughs) Very nice. All-star cast. All-star cast. (laughs) Have any of you ever seen Z Nation? Yes. I think that Russell Hodgkinson would be a cool Winslow. I don't remember him. And he is, he's the guy up. who played Doc. Russell Hodgkinson? Yeah, Russell Hodgkinson. Oh, he's got a very Anthony Hopkins type look to him. Yeah, he's he's a he's a he's a funny guy and um and he's got great energy. Um if you look him up, mm-hmm. uh he he played the character Doc and he's he's he's, he's cool. <laughs> You know, He's I wouldn't. Cool guy. I follow him on Instagram. I wouldn't mind seeing him do the last half of Dumbledore. 
Oh, right. As opposed to when he <laughs> kind of became... And I do love the meme for Dumbledore where they're like, when when did you switch three-piece suits for long robes and beanies? <laughs> <clears throat> John says, on one of the titles we're working on, two of the characters can talk through time. We show the prime character drawn normally in this setting and the other one transparent. That's another way to do it, too. Actually have a image of them oh. standing well, was just it the lake house that did something like that what's that uh, the lake house did something interesting with that one um <laughs> keanu reeves and uh bullock sandra bullock mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i like both those actors too uh keanu in the right mm. role mind you not any role for him he's what about you travis what would be your uh what would be your first if you were if you were to pitch one of your projects for adaptation? Which one would you go to first? Uh, twenty seven pro uh, twenty seven thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we dropping one thought, Aaron? <laughs> um, no, it would be uh, Silver and Smith. I specifically wrote Portals and Silver and Smith with very specific pacing, uh, very specific chapter yeah. length to create a very Here's an episode type feel. Now, some of it wouldn't work because if it, a lot of it is internalized or travel, what what can take up two thousand words can really be covered in five minutes if it's internalized thought and and travel. So you don't necessarily mm -hmm. need all that. Whereas some other chapters where you have um, a character who goes into a building on their own, that might take longer to explore. It, on film than it does in the book but those are two specifically set for it. as for the other ones i have a lot of anthologies that would make like an individual story could be a whole movie the way we've seen a lot of stephen king short stories made into movies mm -hmm. but that would or be tv series uh the colorado kid yeah i'm not familiar which with became haven oh okay. yeah yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of my uh, anthologies, actually my first anthology is the only one that's just different stories. Every anthology I wrote after that has a thread going through them. So, for example, Croker Norwich Case Files, which is like Sherlock Holmes meets the odd couple, um, set in a Victorian setting, a bit of a steampunk aesthetic to it. That's, oh, there we go. Thank you, sir. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. That one would be very good because that is... Whether it's movies and grabbing one story for a movie or whether it's a serialization where you could take one story and put it over a three-episode arc and then continue with the next one because they are chronological. By the way, I do have to say hello to Babakiss who popped in. <clears throat> John mentioned Stephen King sucks and Babakiss defends with bite. <laughs> you bite your tongue. And uh, I have seen good stuff out of Stephen King and I have seen crap out of Stephen King. I have seen both levels. And what I find for me. This holiday season, we all wish for hope and healing. Children and families who spend their holidays at the hospital deserve a reason to believe in first steps, in giggles, high fives, and hugs. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided world-class care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to help patients and healthcare heroes this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday. That's childrensnational.org slash holiday. With MailChimp, you get a whole lot more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. 
That means you can connect your data to make more informed, smarter decisions. And you get powerful automation tools like our customer journey builder to ensure you never miss an opportunity to turn shoppers into loyal customers. So if you're ready to integrate your marketing and boost sales, get started today at MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. And this is unrelated total tangent. I like his short stories or his 800 page plus books. The other stuff just kind of falls short for me. But it's his characters I love, not his his stories are okay. The characters are what do it for me. Mm. But yeah, it's I have and I guess maybe we all we do is there anybody that goes, "Oh, my stuff just wouldn't be good for movies or TV." Any of us feel that way? <laughs> okay, yeah. So I look at all my stuff no, and I'm like this. This could work. <laughs> well, no, uh, I try to take up the, the Quentin Tarantino kind of philosophy. Make movies or make books that you would like to read. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm somewhere between the, if you were talking stylistically, uh, pardon the cat that just jumped in. <laughs> um, I'm somewhere between Harry Harrison's uh, Stainless Steel Rat series uh, and Robert Heinlein. Um probably closer to his juveniles, but friggin', uh, that's the kind of feel and look that I wanted. Um, and Quentin Tarantino, he writes a great action movie, great fast dialogue because that's the kind of movie he wants to see. Yeah. Except for the hateful eight. God, that was slow. (laughs) Oh, it was. (laughs) I wanted to like it a lot more than I did. And if we yanked a half hour out of it, maybe 45 minutes, I feel it would have been, a better movie, but I couldn't tell you what to yank out of it. I couldn't tell you what. <laughs> oh. Right, right. Well, no, I mean, um, getting to the the books to movie adaptation, back to that, yeah. we're going to take a look at uh, Luke Cage, season one of that. It's 10 episodes long. Really, it would have been a much better series if they dropped it to five episodes, trimmed it. Um, yeah, I it, noticed that there were a lot of shows that, um, that the they wanted to hit 10 episodes for some reason. And I mean, on, on Netflix and on certain streaming platforms, the the benefit of the platform is that it can be whatever, however many episodes you want, you know, you can, you can, you can streamline it, streamline it massively. Well, binge psychology is, I think, and this is where we get into game theory and stuff like that. Okay. Um, a, a, an episode of TV is either 22 or 45 minutes long with 15 minutes of commercials or eight minutes, depending on the thing, not including the 30 second intro and outro. Um, so you've got this nice condensed feel and 30 minutes is an arbitrary time because we just happen to divide our day that way. Right. Mm. Um, it, it could be HBO did a really good job of that with the Sopranos. The episodes were however long the episodes were. Um, but the flip side is when you get into stuff that's made directly for Netflix, um, what was it? The guy who did Futurama and then he did Disenchanted. Futurama is – thank you. Uh, Futurama is great. It's fast-paced. Any joke that was below a seven was just cut. Right. Uh, whereas if you're watching Disenchanted, it's instead of being 22 minutes with lots of editing to make it the best possible thing, you've got this 30-minute episode. And the jokes are all great, but you got a couple sixes in there instead. And they right. and it creates this kind of feel. Um, I think 10 episodes um, is kind of where they said, okay, this is where we need to be to be a binge-worthy TV series this this amount of time. Interesting. I will point at British television. 
I'm going to name a couple series. Actually, there's one I can't even think of. It had to do with dinosaurs coming through time to the modern thing. But specifically, oh. yeah. Primeval? Primeval, yeah. And by the way, as the season went, it went horrible because you're like, I think they changed writers kind of like Heroes did. But anyhow, Sherlock, mm. every episode is not the same amount of time. And every episode is kind of a movie. And you're only, right. you're only getting three to five episodes per season. Um, Misfits mm-hmm. is another one. If you look you at it, a arc. Right. And that's what you have. You have an arc in Misfits, which is about superheroes. And I swear they were in an empty town. Primeval. Thank you, Danny. Yeah. Um, you get, like, I think it's five episodes the first season. And then each season, it kind of goes up to you at eight episodes per season, if I'm remembering correctly. And that was nice, because now here's your arc, and that's what they're doing. Um, Tempe, I see you waving. Yeah, you, yeah. you want me to throw it to yeah, you when I'm done? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'll just finish this thought. Primeval, a similar thing, and to add in a few comments before I pass it over. Uh, Danny says, oh, there's a couple comments. Okay, money matters can interfere with the final decision, says Rabin. John says, sometimes contracts require a number of episodes. Danny Netflix 10 episodes, standard for some shows, drags out because they're trying to fill a sponsor. Agree with that. Rabin says, Good Omens was an interesting study in changes for the silver screen. And um, mm. Danny says, Was that British? I thought it was Canadian. But maybe that's just where they were filmed. Danny, America remade Primeval. They also tried to remake Sherlock in the with uh, Lucy Liu. Well, uh, elementary. But anyhow, Tempe, all you. Sorry, thank you. No, I was just trying to figure. I was just trying to remember what was the industry standard like in the eighties and nineties because you know there used to be the the series like the Thornbards in North and South where it was an episode like a two hour episode a week that would go on. Was it like six weeks? Was that was a weeks? mini series, yeah. Um, and that yeah, actually the wasn't mini-series. a bad format either. Even like the Stephen King made for TV or a Hallmark made for TV where you get two nights of two hours each. Because then right. uh, you get a long movie. Yeah. Uh, if I remember right, for regular TV series, it's 13 episodes. Uh, things like The Good Place only do 10. Um, and then if it's the expanded stuff, it's 26 and half a year. Yeah, if uh, it's a full, full season. season, 21 to 26, depending if it's an hour long or a sitcom, and it may fall a couple in there because, again, it depends. If you're going on Monday night, if you're a Monday night show, you got shifted because Monday night football hit on certain channels mm-hmm. and it would move right. it, <clears throat> etc. Right. And it, they would do, um, like I believe it was North and South, they would do a two-hour episode each night mm-hmm. for Monday through Friday for, what, like two weeks? Mm-hmm. Was, it, was it something like that? Um, but it, it, it's interesting. I guess maybe they – I don't bopped off of those standards a little bit when they first started with all these, you know, like the Netflix shows and right. stuff, but everything's gotten so skewed now. I see make it comes down to what it needs to be, um, which is what I'm seeing yeah. with a lot of this stuff from BBC. And that's why I mentioned these shows as British because they aired on BBC first. So Danny, what? they might've been Canadian. I don't know. Um, Aaron. Uh, on that point, I mean the, the British and the Canadian both have that, uh, a better public broadcasting than we do. Raise your mic so, just a bit. Th- oh, sorry. Uh, the, the British and the Canadian have a better kind of public broadcasting. So they friggin' tap into explicitly British 
filmmakers, story writers, and things like that, as do the Canadians. Um, Seth Rogen uh, talks about this. One of the, when he started going out, um, he tapped into, oh, I can get money from the Canadian government to do my stuff. And you see, it's not necessarily the best, but it's different stuff all across there because it's on Canadian TV. The British side, you see the same thing. Stuff like uh, Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf, every season was a different length. Some of them were 20, some of them were 6, some of them were like 3, and then, oh, this is the half a season or whatever. Or Doctor Who, previous to the modern iteration. That very much varied anywhere from here's a single two-hour movie to here's a full-length, you know, this and that. So what about our books? Shifting us back for the creative, let's say somebody came to you and went, we're ready to do this. We want you to be part of the creative process. We're not just buying the rights and shoving you away. We want you sitting next to the director so when we have to do scene rewrite for whatever reason, whether it's length or things like a lot is internalized, how do we translate that to screen? How would you want to see your books made into movies? What things do you visualize when you're like, this would be a movie? And Tempe, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this. Am I correct on that? <laughs> I do, and I'm the first one to say that, you know, I don't want a lot of my stuff changed. Can we, since you do have so much and how you have it planned in your head, I was going to ask, is it okay we take you last because you'll take up a lot. So I want to give you that time without us trying to interrupt with our possibly very shorter stuff. Uh, Michael, can (laughs) we start with you? Oh, sure. Um, And which book are you looking at? Well. Though you could bounce back and forth. Uh, def- uh, definitely. I mean, one day I'd love to do World of Yore, but that's so high concept, high budget. Um, you know, I was, a, I was a film minor, and uh, I remember, and, and I had written a, a play once, and when I saw that uh, performed, that was one of the most amazing uh, feelings to see someone else's take on it and to see other people like embody the characters. Where I was, was like, Where was that done? That was at the end of high school. Um, it was a play. It was a play called Spotless. Was it and, done in uh, high school? Was it high school cast? No, it was. It was Arena Stage in DC. Wow. And um, it was. It was kind. It was like. It was like a dramatic read, but with professional actors. So, so they were reading it, and it was just so cool. And I remember when I first said that was the first time I had ever sat down to write a script and which was so different for me because I was the fantasy guy mm-hmm. and I would write these big sprawling magical things. And, uh, and I wrote a script that was like my, my fantasy stuff. And then my teacher, uh, she said, Mike, imagine that you have to film that you have to make this yourself on your budget. And I, and I was like, Whoa, <laughs> and then I, and I looked at everything I I had written and I just threw it away. <laughs> and I made and I made Aww. a new. And no, no, no. That, but but it, I I realized that that's I need budget is important and and you know feasibility. And I was it thinking like, oh, they could, get, they could do all these things. They could do special lights and stuff. So you've actually kind of okay. done this then already. I that this that's the closest I've, I uh, I've well I've done Closer like my me. own like film. I've done my own like short films and stuff. Um, but in terms of like something that I wrote and then having someone else do it, that's uh, yeah. And that was such a cool feeling. Um, but I, but I remember thinking, I'm like, okay, uh, 
this has to be like doable. And then all of the, all of the symbolism was, uh, within, and I'm going to publish this one day as like a, a tiny little, uh, tiny little book, uh, with the, with the characters and the, and the character sheet and stuff. Um, but I remember that was something I kept in mind. So in terms of with, with that budget in mind and I didn't, Winslow came together like so magically and so suddenly that I, I, I wasn't even thinking about it, but l looking back on it, I realized how perfect it is to adapt into a nice limited series. Um, every chapter can be an episode. Uh, you get like monster of the week, like, like Aaron said, and, um, like it, with the first chapter, I remember thinking I can, uh, I, I, I could, if, if I like really tested, uh, stretched my resources that I, I could even make this cause it's one location. Um, and it's two guys talking to each other. Um, and then most of the budget would go to like the, however, however much I wanted to show the, the monster, uh, Gambo, the fire breathing fish. Um, that would be that would be where it would go. So it could be cool to do like a, a short uh, film, and then if that does well, then to do uh, do the rest of them as as a series. But definitely as a series, and I've got I've got so many so many thoughts about it. Uh, um, but just like just like how to convey because because you really want to seize the visual medium when you make a translation because that's that's kind of the point. You get to tell the story in a new way. Um, so you think about colors a lot, like what, what colors can, can be symbolic. So, I mean, uh, the story of the first chapter, what's that? Soundtracks also. Soundtracks. I have, uh, that, that was something I was saving. I was going to ask oh, you I'm guys sorry? if any of you have made a playlist for your books. Cause, cause I have, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I, and, and something that I think about is like, is, is the colors of the, of, of the scenes. And I kind of would want uh in chapter one just uh for for it to be like very like very blue and stuff and and and, and then to have like uh, along with the fire of gambo as as this monster's coming closer and as as john's belief in winslow's magical world is shifting for cult for more colors to be introduced to the world so that's a way Wizard to of Oz. Yeah, yeah, in a way, but um, to to just start with lots of blues and then to have you know that that, that fire tone, those ochre tones, the the warmth, and and to to sort of match it match the belief. And that's something I thought about a lot as I'm writing the sequel to Winslow, uh, the first one. And I've suggested it in in the imagery. I've mentioned like you know noirish type tones, mm -hmm. and. Um, Tempe, I'm because sorry, it's a flashback. I thought you would have when... the most to say. This is <laughs> I would have let you go first before I realized. Go on, Mike. I'm loving uh, I'm sorry. No, this is great. Uh but I, I, I remember because there there's I really like there's this one effect uh that films do where everything's black and white except for one item. So I, I as I was writing the first chapter of Winslow 2, uh, because this is this is back in the day, this is when Winslow was on his first uh ever assignment and uh with um, with this agency that we sort of learn more about in the first book. Um, and I sort of just imagine it all being black and white, except for the yellow of the caution tape and the yellow of the insignia of the agency. Um, Vince Gilligan is a great guy. You want to look at, if you want to look at colors, look at Vince oh, yeah. Gilligan. Cause he, he, he has like his whole, and you just kind of, you just kind of know you, you start freaking out when you see the color yellow on the screen. Uh, it's like, Oh, something bad is about to happen, you know, cause that's, He's created his own language through through his colors. 
so color's a cool way cool way to think about it uh music i've got i've got this playlist I, i've got i've got a few playlists that i want i really like this song scallywag by uh gaelic storm yeah yeah great song. Uh, like i think it could be the theme song to winslow easily uh, uh that'd be a nice but, win for you yeah, and angles are something else that you guys might want to think about. Uh, like, what what can you do with angles? Like, especially if you're if you're usually in first person, you know, this is this is your camera, and uh, when you have when you're free, uh, because you're not going to do unless you want to do like a hardcore Henry where you're in actually in the head Never of the character, but uh, you get to, you get to hover, you get to do so much more stuff. Um, so that's something to think about. Image without a cause does that. What's that? Rebel Without a Cause does that. Uh, there's uh, old James Dean movie, but uh, you get, I think there's three that really highlight what's going on. But when you viewing it on him, it'll come from a different angle and yeah. to create a disjointed feel of the film at those specific points. Yeah. And well, then, I can read one comment real quick for you, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, Tempe, I don't know if you saw it, but Danny said I love it after you described your cast, by the way. Um, Danny, oh, thanks, Danny. <laughs> I love them, too. <laughs> now says, that's a neat way to consider it. Keep enough detail in the story to bring it to life, but revise back down so there aren't many crazy things that it can't be, that, that it can't be brought to life. Um, two great movies. The first Sin City does that with only one dash of color. And uh, Schindler's List. Where the only color in the film... At Capella University, you're in control of your education. With the game-changing FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines and move at your own pace. The faster you move, the more you save. Visit capella.edu to learn more. With MailChimp, you get more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. With things like data-driven recommendations and powerful automation tools. Get started today at MailChimp.com smartmarketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. ...is a little girl's red dress that is shown in two or three different scenes. And the final mm. scene that you see this red dress is in a pile of bodies. Wow. So, that's, uh, yeah, it's going black and white with that one touch of color. It definitely gives an emotion that you might not have ever considered otherwise. Right. Okay, Michael, go on about perspective. Uh, or we could pass it yeah, to Aaron def- real quick because was... we. Your call. Oh yeah, I'll 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 rein I'll rein my stuff in if if any of you guys want to take it away for a while. We'll, we'll pass it to Aaron and then Tempe and then in the second hour when we're talking about books and movies we like, feel free to bring it back up and work it in because I'm I'm loving what okay. you're doing here and I spend two hours nice. on each of you alone. Uh, Aaron. Yeah, it, it's a it's a fun thing to think about. Um, so the new project I'm working on and I was like, okay, and I took a a page from Travis's book and I think a lot of this is going to work well for him as well is we're trying to create that fast paced feel, um, episodic in nature. Um, I love the idea of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and okay, here, here's this and here's what previously in Buffy, they did a quick intro to get you back on that piece. Um, so I'd probably lean towards one or two episodes for for a book in this series. Uh, I was outlining it to these guys earlier. Um, we're looking at nine books, um, three yeah. arcs each, and three arcs within each uh, book itself. 
So yeah. we're talking about a quick up and down along one book, which brings you to the second book, which kind of reverses things like Empire of the Strike Back, uh, Strikes Back did, and then takes you into the uh, Jedi. But that first arc is also your Star Wars. It's your upbeat piece. And then mm-hmm. when you get into the second piece, you reverse it again and you're dark again. You ended at the beginning of the final third resolution. act where it's, it's very down and dangerous and dark. <clears throat> Exactly. You're changing up the style over and over again uh, to keep things new, interesting, uh, get your tempo going. But each each episode, if you will, has to be self-contained. Uh, what happens if they just stopped there? Um, right. It, kind of that book, idea. Cause I maybe, really appreciate that. I hate putting a book down at the end and I've got to wait for the next book. Not because... The characters are going on because the story didn't get finished. Um, I understand right. stories go on and there's something else that happens. But to end a book where I'm like, I don't even have a complete story. It annoys me. What well, my, my big thing is, if I was watching the show on a Monday night back in the 80s, it needs to finish. I need to have resolution. I can't be left hanging. It, it's OK if I've got, oh, kind of a... <clears throat> You want to see a little bit more of this next week. You want to keep wanting more. You right. know the next one's coming. Right. Um, but you want to build this up. Um, but go back to Travis's original point, if I had freaking kind of a, not creative control but creative input on it, um, there's an old John Candy movie years ago, and it talks about every TV series having a Bible. And these are kind of the, the flow puts, uh, yeah. a start and a finish of how you're going to get there and kind of beats along the way. Mm-hmm. Um the good place is kind of like that because a lot of these uh, TV shows are written by committee. Not necessarily a bad thing, but they've got a showrunner that kind of keeps thing everything going the way it's supposed to. But you may have, let's say we were writing a TV show. Michael will write one episode and then we'll critique it and make it better. And then the following Travis is going to do the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and my big goal is not that it matches my vision inside the book. It's that it's thematically correct. Um, and a, a great example of that is the TV show The Magicians uh, by Les Grossman. Um, they did one season per book. Um, everything kind of matches your expectation, but it's not the same. Um, you get the, the same look. You get the same feel. Um but it's not necessarily the same story. It's an adaptation. Uh, it's kind of like in music where we've got this great song and then somebody does a cover on it and the cover's even better. Yeah, mm. which um, is rare, but it happens. Uh, it does. It does. Uh, well, some people aren't, aren't necessarily well suited to it. Look at Take a look at all, um, all the songs that Prince wrote that he didn't perform. Right. Um. Yeah, you need and somebody else's it, voice to express it. Exactly. Um, or they may be able to have a better technology or better media to kind of perform this thing in. Um, and this kind of goes back to Travis's thing at the beginning. It's we're thinking cinema, uh, cinematically. Um, okay, what would this look like on a screen? And how are people going to interpret this to kind of get it there? Yeah. Um it, that was kind of a failure I had with Persona Non Grata, but a lot of it's internal dialogue. Uh, our protagonist, he's really the narrator, because the primary protagonist is not Ari himself, it's Hart. Hart's the hero of the story, 
Airy is the narrator telling the story. Just so everybody knows, um, Hart is a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but this kind of goes back to uh, Michael's point in regards to make it yourself on your own budget. Um, if you, if you got, you got to have skin in the game. It's one of those, oh yeah, freaking, oh yeah, I got an unlimited budget. You're going to end up with unlimited crap. I wish Elizabeth um, was here for the budget thing. Cause that is something she is constantly dinging being a film writer. <clears throat> oh, right. Yeah. Um, one of the, uh, a great group that did that was broken lizard, uh, super troopers. Um, they were, <laughs> they had, well, no, no, I, I, say what you will. It is int- entertaining. It delivers what it promises. I like it. But the crew, oh, uh, so do I, mm-hmm. uh, broken lizard mate wrote this, um, and then had to get funding. Well, they went to this one guy. He goes, okay, how much do you need? And I think the number was like $30 million. He's like, okay, I'll give you $27. You got to get the other three yourself. You got to have skin in the game. Because uh, if you don't, right, your product is not going to be good. Yeah. And we see this uh, docu- uh, documentaries end up like this as well. They're enti- Nobody makes money on a doc. Uh, on a doc. They just don't. They do uh, now. Look at Netflix. Uh, well, Absurd Planet. I, <laughs> they'll break even and they might make money on their next project is where I think it is. But mm-hmm. the doc itself is kind of, um, it's a loss leader, uh, back to the business side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's kind of cool doing that. But, um, and again, back to the underlying point, if I was going to do this myself, I'd try, try to get maybe a burn notice feel. Oh, go ahead, mm-hmm. Travis. Persona non grata. Mm-hmm. I'd almost think a total rewrite and make the narrator heart in the series or movie and have that internal dialogue of the ship as he he for heart, right? Yeah, um, heart is a he. As he watches these other people working around him and doing these other things and whatnot. Um, so... Anyhow, Aaron, go ahead and finish up because I really want to pass it to Tempe. I feel oh. so bad because I thought we were going to be short. And uh, <laughs> um, no, uh, just uh, I want to hit on something that I think uh, would work great for Winslow um, is if you take a look at the Netflix series, a series of unfortunate events. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they did each small book. The books are only this big. Um, each one was an episode. They changed it, the descriptive, into this beautiful yeah. cinema um, and it worked and it worked well and they yeah, kept it pretty it. true to the damn original mm-hmm. um, but it hits all those kind of points back where we've got a narrator he appears on screen telling us this story and he steps back they use the uh, color uh, palette uh, very very well in there um, all of those uh, but I'm, I'm done. Bringing back to town. <laughs> color I'll have much, are, much more on the technical side. <laughs> color palettes can definitely influence the whole feel of a movie. Uh, Tempe, thank you for your patience. I apologize again, Gosh. but I am no, very interested fine. to hear your thoughts on how you would help guide your book into a movie or a series. And what are you looking at, movie or series for yours? It would have to be a series because of the length of it. Mm-hmm. You know, with the being at least at least nine books maybe more at this point um you know because i can write as long as they can film (laughs) (laughs) 
can you write as fast as they can film? I can write oh, wait, as fast yeah. as they can film. Well, once yes, you're I sitting can. on set, it's hard to write as much as you do now because you're so... In, you know how it is when we go to social media and how much time that takes out of our day, let alone if you're making a film. Yeah, but I work between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m., mm-hmm. so... <laughs> you know, sleep's overrated. But, uh... <laughs> So, you know, for anybody that's interested in a book to turn into a show, I'm telling you this is set. When I wrote A Timely Revolution, the series, I wrote it like I was watching a movie. Very much so. Um, It starts out on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Guess what? You can film on the beach for free. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Colonial Williamsburg is already set up. You can use their buildings, you know, to film. They used them for turn uh, when they were down here. And I, that was very much in my mind when I wrote the books. Uh, Philadelphia has an old section, you know, from where the Culper Spy Ring stuff was the beginning. You can film up there for Philadelphia. Um, or in Fredericksburg. Fredericksburg, They yes. still have the slave market. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, they have the reenactors are here in town right they have their own uniforms they have everything they need to step in and they often do when they film something for you know for the revolutionary war for a tv series or anything they just call up people who already work for colonial williamsburg and put out a casting call and they you know they come and they fill in so that stuff is that stuff's already set (laughs) you know and as far as paying paying your actors is going to be the big part Personally, I'm willing to offer an extra bedroom in my house to Henry Cavill, <laughs> so you won't have to pay lodging there. So is your husband going to be a <laughs> just to cut down on cost of him above his uh, above the just bed? Just to cut down on cost. Is your husband going to be <laughs> upset that he has to sleep in the spare room when Henry gets the master? <laughs> we don't talk about oh, that. <laughs> so, Go on, sorry. So. uh and there's a couple other actors I'll be happy to toss, you know, space over to there as well. But uh, but yeah, my stuff is with the revol- with so much historical stuff. It's already here. It's easy to film. It's just bring in the camera crew and set it up and do it. And I sit down many days at Colonial Williamsburg and watch them film where they'll just bring everybody in, you know, where there's asphalt. They'll just throw down hay just to kind of cover it. And that's what they do. And they use, you know. They'll pop off one building and, and call it something else, but it works. Right. So, although I will say in turn, there was one episode where they were filming in the, the coffee house, and a, I did see a bicycler go by on the window. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, they missed that one. <laughs> Time travel. <laughs> Time travel. Time travel. You can always do it. Tempe, I'm right. curious. Oh, thank you, Tracy. I appreciate that. Here's your face. It's uh, throwing the bits. Um, Tempe, I'm curious. Now, I haven't read all of your books. I haven't even honestly finished book one. My apologies for that. Um, But I assume there is some great cinematic scape and scope in some of the scenes. So Mm -hmm. when doing these things, I think of, uh, what was it, Follow the Mohicans? Is that the name of the film I'm thinking of? Um, Last of the Mohicans? Thank you, Last of the Mohicans. You have some beautiful scenery in there, some beautiful shots. I mean, Lord of the Rings level scenery. Is there stuff right. like that that you're looking at also? And how much of that yeah, would I, be in there? 
the, the character's main house, the house that she buys, mm-hmm. is actually a fictional house. I mm-hmm. didn't have anything in mind. I have I have the picture in my mind, but uh, nothing specific. Um, but it's on an estate, and it's it's a, 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 the river runs by it, and there's a Native American tribe on it as well. So you know, I have all of those shots in my head as well, and. Uh, yeah, but you know we're right here on the James. We mm-hmm. have riverfront. It's easy to film. We have plenty of here in Williamsburg alone and around Jamestown. We have everything you need to film this. You know, well, as far as scenery and everything. So yeah. some of the stuff wouldn't be bad using old style paintings and things like that because we have documentation there to where if you want to go, oh, we're leading into the battle, whatever. You start with a painting and then kind of fade to real or right. be a nice fade away from real yeah that would and definitely give York, you the modern York. feel to historic tempe what were you saying right and, and we have yorktown here where the battles were and that's in the books um there are as the series progresses there's a point where they're at mount vernon meeting with george washington well we've got mount vernon <laughs> so you know all of this stuff can actually be as historically accurate in on film as i wanted it to be in the book fun fact. so you know because sometimes i have that visual fun fact is sometimes it's cheaper to build a set than rent the location yeah so, and also yeah. lets you do more with it but, especially if there's a battle where you're blowing out a wall or anything like that you know you don't want to do that with the colonial williamsburg set <laughs> well I, you know and i don't i don't really put the, the specifics of the battles and it's most okay. of you know she's walking down the street or she and she meets like the carter brothers who actually own the unicorn's horn that we still have we still have the building there we still have the, where the market was all of it's all set up um and and i've i come to i've come to believe that these touristy places like this the historical places mm-hmm actually invite more film people in because it gives them more you know publicity and it brings more people in to see them the days that cw filmed colonial williamstook filmed for a turn or whatever show they're filming for at the time that place is always packed because people are are there watching they they come and while they're there they buy the tickets they go in and they check out the buildings and you know they hang out and spend a couple of days uh same thing with the battlefields you know battlefields aren't visited as much as they used to be right. but when something like this happens it, it brings the people out so I'm, it's win-win for everybody i'm just saying <laughs> that's great now we'll move into our second hour which doesn't mean we can't continue this exact conversation but i do want to do the reintroductions for each of us i want to let everybody know i'm the host travis sivard and i am the author currently have one book with a literary agency waiting to see if it gets accepted and that is silver and smith and the Jazir's Light, which will be a <clears throat> near-future, borderline dystopian world where a middle-aged mercenary who's very withdrawn meets up with a high-energy 20-something female archaeologist who goes by Hank. And they're moving around the world in a very Indiana Jones, Pirates of the Caribbean style, interacting with each other from opposite points of view and bumping head and collecting what is essentially mystical artifacts. Um, now, how about you, Michael? Ah, 
Reintroducing. I, I was just I, I was spacing out because I was imagining when you said Indiana Jones, I was imagining the crossfade of the map with the with the little dotted lines. I worked that in the book. Uh, Hank yes, pulls up her tablet and projects it to a screen, so you actually see like a map, a electronic map, and you have the red line of where they're going. And so I want that in the movie. Perfect just, time. Yes, ahead. excellent, excellent. I would want to do that uh, for if World of the Orb ever gets adapted. World of the Orb. Here's another one of my books. Uh, two best friends uh, lost. Uh, modern teens lost in a medieval world of monsters, myths, and magic. Set on a harrowing treasure hunt to find Earth again. Uh, and my name is Michael Thompson, author, illustrator. <laughs> By the way, I would be interested to see Chicken Boy turn into an animated series or animated movies. Oh, yeah. Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I would Tempe? love that. Sorry, I'm oh. trying to move my cat away. <laughs> <laughs> is she getting it? <laughs> she's, she, she's chewing on a wire, and that's never good. Uh, I am Tempe White. I'm the author of the Timely Revolution book series, historical time travel fiction series that needs to be made into a TV series. And I'm also working on a uh, fantasy piece that is kind of a cross between Game of Thrones and The Witcher that's coming along very nicely that I hope to be telling you more about very soon. Uh, I'm very nice, interested nice. in uh, beta reading that for you if it's available. It's uh, Yes. It's, if you can handle my feedback. If you can't, then I'll read the final product. I don't know, Travis. You're a little rough on people. <laughs> uh, this is why I ask what kind of feedback you want. You want all encourage. Anyhow, Aaron. <laughs> Hi, I'm Aaron Kennedy. Uh, I'm author of uh, Persona Non Grata, the first books in the Ships of Valor series or world. Uh, uh, been a technical writer for about 25 years. Uh, current project that I'm working on is Icarus Black, uh, which is going to be set in the same universe. Oh, oh thank you, sir. Uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but I did buy a copy of Winslow and freaking have been reading it. Uh, oh, good course, stuff, isn't it? It is, it is. Uh, the dialogue is outstanding on it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh. I'm being attacked, so thank you. <laughs> I'm loading up. <laughs> Aaron, finish your intro. Uh, okay, uh, currently writing the Icarus Black uh, kind of series uh, on there. Uh, and Yep, and uh, hopefully I'm going to have one of the first ones done by the end of the year. Wow. And then kind of I'm hoping for a faster release schedule because it's going to be more condensed. Um, yeah, rapid release. Now for the technical <laughs> stuff, for everybody who are viewing, don't forget you can catch us on podcasts on all the major podcast streaming things, except Pandora. Still waiting to hear back from them. Um, and for those of you listening on the podcast, don't forget you can join us and join in the conversation as you hear when I ring the bell here at twitch.tv slash Travis Tavern Talk at 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern, most Saturday nights. Um and for anybody who wants a little behind the scenes, that's what just happened to me. John asked if uh, anybody can see him holding up all of my books. I did deliver him all the books from a Kickstarter that is long overdue. It's uh, my apologies to all the people who supported that. Sad fact is, guys, I've sent out messages because I have the books. I'm ready to ship them out. And, and nobody's replying to me. And saying, hey, send me this book. And I'm like, oh. Um, so, catastrophe, <laughs> says Shiera. <laughs> so now, in this hour, we're going to shift to books we've seen adapted to TV or film. And criticize them or cheer them on or a little of both. And it's... Uh, 
I'm sorry, I'm, I'm looking at a comment. Weightlifting during the isolation. Um, I'm actually not sure what that's in reference to. Maybe that's to you, Tempe. John said he had all your books oh. holding him up, and I said that's uh, that, that's how you get strong. You get he- they're heavy because there's a go. shit ton oh. of them. Sorry, I was focused on what I was babbling about. My bad. Um, <laughs> so does anybody have a favorite book that was turned into something they love on screen, big or small? Aaron? Yes, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say all of you love it, and if you don't, get off the show. Uh, <laughs> William Goldman's uh, Princess Bride. Okay, yes. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Oh, God. Oh, it's worth, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay. That's one. We're going to take a slight technical break. <laughs> <laughs> Everything just goes to the bars. <laughs> Movie night at Aaron's house when this is all over. There yeah. we go. Oh. Definitely worth watching <laughs> in a group It's uh, or alone, but especially oh, yeah. in a group. Um, what I will say is we watch it with Tempe or Michael or both. We need to uh, make sure we keep our mouth shut through the whole movie. Just wiggle and giggle. Um, let him. Oh, we need to live tweet that. Uh, what, their reactions. <laughs> you do one, I'll do the other. Uh, we'll record their reactions as everything's going on. I'm very fresh to it. I hardly know what it's about. That go Good. in like that. That's a great way to go in. Yeah, yeah, that was one of those movies that did not really have a trailer per se, or it wasn't advertised. So you walked into it blind, and then you get, oh, this is frigging awesome. Just out of curiosity, when was that put out? Late 80s, 80s I think. 80s, yeah. yeah. See, I wasn't a big movie buff in the 80s. It was movies. I lived in a small town. There wasn't really a movie theater around to go see anything. So You could yeah. pick it up like in the discount bin for 5 to $8 on DVD and Blu-ray now, and it's worth it. It is just, for me, the most... Oh, Chris says it's on Disney+. Plus. By the way, Rabin mentions The Martian, which I, I wouldn't mind talking about because that was very well done. Um but yeah, it's uh, probably the most quotable movie out there, in my opinion. Like almost Ted every Cruz line. can quote the entire thing. Yeah, it's well, not not, and uh, I don't know. We could do a reenactment of the whole damn thing. <laughs> you want to do Buttercup or Wesley? <laughs> I know the Inigo Montoya line. That's about it. Everyone does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my wife's personal business cards say, "Hello, my name is." Uh <laughs> Gotcha. What about you, Michael? You got one that you just, you've read the book and you love the screen adaptation. I, 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 I can't think, I can't think of one. I, I know there are ones that I've, I've come across that I'm like, oh, this is an adaptation. Uh, and then I, I would want to go back and find the source material like happy. Have you ever seen uh season one of happy? Yes. I think no, it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, it's a graphic it, novel. It's a sci-fi. It was a graphic novel, and it's it's like a it's like a weird stylistic noir uh, where he's um, it. Ah oh, man, just check it out. Uh, he he sees this. He's, he's he can't tell if he's going crazy or not. He sees this flying uh, blue unicorn. Um, Teeny, and it's 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 so interesting. Yeah, it's a noir with... Uh, it is dark, though. Just a little forewarned. It's very dark. Yeah. It's very dark. It's very violent. Um, so keep in mind. Um, but the first the first season is is takes place during Christmas. Yeah, it is cutesy and, and uh, gritty at the same time. That's Yeah, that's what's kind of uncanny and interesting about it. And and, and just uh, Christopher Maloney's performance is yeah. just so good. He's so expressive. Yeah. 
and and grizzled and interesting yeah. and and damp. So there you go. Yeah, we, so that's we a, to, maybe he might be a second runner up for uh, Winslow. Well, I saw him in profile at one point in the snow with uh with this knit cap down, and I was like, oh, you know that that looks a lot that looks a lot like this. Yeah. Um, and I started and I started thinking about him in that in that way, but also maybe as Scialpi, uh, the uh, antagonist of of the book. Oh. Um, but anyway, Rabin mentioned Stardust also. Oh, so, Stardust! But yeah, I saw we, that. Before we Long go into ago. that, Tempe, do you have one of that you read the book and you really enjoyed the adaptation? Um, as a TV series, I I have a love hate relationship with Outlander. Okay. Um, I I like the books. I wasn't thrilled with who they cast as the main character because she was like nothing in the book. Um, but. I, I enjoy the storyline. I have little issues here and there with other things. Um, but, yeah, Outlander um, is something that I enjoy. I'm sorry. I'm cleaning up my hand. I've got okay. blood going everywhere here right now. I had to, like, throw her out of the room. So sorry. Um, <laughs> she's, she's literally insane. I kid you not. Um, well, it's a cat. It's, it's And a female she's one. She's the demon cat. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, believe, Preacher. Yeah. Yeah, Preacher. you've got a connection to that one. Preacher, yeah, that's right. I actually didn't know anything about that show until they like used my kit on it, and then I started watching it. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it wasn't that. That was a was it a book or was it a comic? Graphic novel, a comic, graphic novel, maybe. Yeah, Correct. maybe maybe that's what it was. And it's still yeah. out and being published. Um, yeah, and a few comments and then we can start talking about the ones we hate. I just figured we'd start on the positive note. Um, then we could tear the other ones up because chat has blown up. They are very excited about this topic. Um, John topic. conquest publishing says Stephen King sucks now. Uh, of course, Robin, the Martian <laughs> mentions the Martian, uh, Danny Pimpin, the, uh, princess bride. Robin says, Holy grail and princess bride mentions stardust says Gaiman seems to pull it off in general Crichton films are almost always horrible compared to the books. And Shira mentions Preacher, definitely my favorite adaptation despite minor changes. The flow of the story is consistent and gritty despite having to be a little bit cleaner than the original story, which is understandable for some of these things, I think. Um, and Danny, last comment, then we're back to us, says, I think Gaiman gets involved too, which helps certainly with the adaptation process, and he does. Um... I recently read, um, oh my goodness, American Gods, and they had an interview at the end of the audiobook, a 20-minute interview with him, and he mentioned specifically it is a different story, and it the first season really sticks to the book, and season two really moves away from it. Um, Expanse is the same way. It, it starts very similar, but by the time you're five episodes in, it's a different story. By your own second, third season, it's a very different story. But that's like the song replay, where we, we get a different vision. We get to combine things in film over a, especially a longer series where they bring in characters that don't appear till book three. They bring it in in the first season because there is backstory there that you can lead into the whole weaving, threaded plot line. It's true. So, and I think... Besides, if your only gripe is it doesn't stick exactly to the story, 
Well, I get it, but there's reasons. And give it... Well, sometimes the format doesn't allow. Right. Or, yeah, like the whole mention of backstory to characters brought in later books can thread into the base story. This holiday season, we all wish for hope and healing. Children and families who spend their holidays at the hospital deserve a reason to believe in first steps, in giggles, high fives, and hugs. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided world-class care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to help patients and healthcare heroes this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org holiday. That's childrensnational.org holiday. With MailChimp, you get more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. With things like data-driven recommendations and powerful automation tools. Get started today at MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. Uh, yeah, by the way, Aaron just posted the link for Purveyor of the Unusual. Check out Tempe's stuff there. Thank the you, Aaron. vampire Props. kit that was used on Preacher is, it's a work of art. It's a beautiful thing. Very cool. Check that out. And if you ever catch her at a convention, browse her wares. It's all like handmade. Like even the boxes, if I'm not mistaken, are made, not purchased and filled. Actually, you won't, you won't catch them at conventions anymore okay. because I had too much of little hands tearing them up. So you can only get them online and they sell out pretty quickly. So I do have one over there that I'm working on right now if you're interested in a red one. <laughs> It, is it something yeah. that's together enough you can hold up to the camera real quick? Uh, is that too much trouble? I've got a few missing parts. Hang on. Let okay. me see. Thank you. I, it's These things are great, and I wouldn't try to push her to do it if it if it wasn't beautiful stuff. And I'm going to bring a heater in one second here. Uh, check it out. Ooh, there, can you see it? Yeah. 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 I'm still working on it. And uh, I'll and leave it <laughs> And for a 30% upcharge, you'll have the signatures of all the right night uh, hosts here. Hey! <laughs> hey, for, for free, I'll throw in some of my own blood that the cat just took out of my It'll hand. Make it. <laughs> It'll make it more authentic. <laughs> make it more authentic. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I actually have a green one up online now uh, that's, yeah, it, it, that's, I think four people have it in their carts at this point, and that's all that I have left up of those right now, because apparently vampires are next. Just FYI. <laughs> they never left. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And speaking of mm -hmm. speaking of moving to the movie adaptations that we hate, uh -oh. can I go ahead and add mine? Go, please. Interview with a vampire. Oh, my God. Worst yeah. remake ever. Have um, not seen it. Well, actually, and, and it got worse as it went, I think, with that series. Because the first book, I always tell people, if you're going to read... The books read the first one first because there's a gap between the publishing of the first one and the second one and her writing style improved drastically same with the pern series yeah. um book one to book two huge writing style difference actually book two to book three but whatever um no yes Aaron. Uh, on interview the vampire i don't think it was that bad of an adaptation but and having read the first the, the Vampire Chronicles right. uh, in order as they were released, uh, uh, you're absolutely right. Her style gets so much better. But one of the things that happens as she's going on is we've all seen uh, men writing women badly. 
Uh, Anne Rice is the exact opposite. She writes men horribly. Um, And Interview with the Vampire is one of those things where you just get pieces of that, but you don't get this as she's shifted all men to gay. And it's not no nothing wrong with that, but it's just a stylistic thing that happens in her books. Um, it, so it's she, almost no variety is what I'm hearing here. Yeah. I think Tom Cruise was a bad choice as Lestat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, and, yeah. And then once they moved to that The Queen of the Damned movie, that was horrible. I was just so completely lost and <laughs> horrible. I'm like, I couldn't get through five minutes of it. Now, I would love to see them do a an uh, adaptation of her witching hour series yeah which which was a fantastic and this is Anne Rice for anybody who doesn't know was a fantastic book series and I think that would make a wonderful and tied into Netflix the vampire chronicles loosely yes. it, it, it's the same yes. world you feel that you know that by the way Robin says starship troopers and I will come back to that one I got one on that as well. Yeah, we can come back. I don't want to cut us off of this if we're not done with this, but I definitely, Starship Troopers, we could talk about. It's, uh... And she is actually writing again. She's released a few more of those stop books, and she's got a, uh, a, a wolf series out now, Wolfman okay. series type thing out now. How is it? That, um, um, it's been a couple of years since I read the first book. I know she's added a couple more out since then, but I haven't read them. Um, but I, I, I think it was off to a pretty decent start. With the Vampire um, Chronicles, so, when she got into the later ones, after the original trilogy, like Pandora and all the others, I felt like she was rewriting the same story with a different point of view, and you've got 60% of stuff, I've already read this, I've already seen this, and 40% mm-hmm. new content blended in, and that was, for me, a bit of a letdown, where I wanted... I don't mind them touching on the events in the other books, but when you're retelling the other book from the other side of the room, yeah. eh, eh, not my thing. Like I said, the, the Witching Hour would make an excellent, excellent, if they do it right, would make an excellent series, uh, especially with the fantasy stuff that's out now. And it's been a, it's been a long time since that was written, mm-hmm. but I think it would still make a great, a great adaptation. And would you uh, modernize it? Would you want to see it done um, set in this year? Well, not 2020, but you I, know. <laughs> I, I don't know that I would. I'll be honest Leave with you because, like, 90s. yeah, because, um, what is the, um, oh, American Horror Story does a really great job with going back and doing stuff like 20 years ago or 30 years ago, maybe something along those lines and kind of keeping it on track that way. Especially with they when they do their witch stuff where they bop around quite a bit. So, so what about you, Michael? What do you hate? <laughs> what do I hate? I, I don't know. I, I don't have a I don't have too strong an opinion on. It. I did see recently, and talking about this has made me uh, remember that I saw a trailer for, and this is the first to my knowledge. Well, I guess they did Reanimator, but um, the first. Uh, modern Lovecraft adaptation. Uh, it's Color Out of Space. And um, has anyone seen that? I haven't seen it, but I saw the trailer. Um, and it just, the the nature of of uh, cosmic horror, it, it, it really highlights for me how difficult that is to adapt. Right. Because when I saw that trailer and the color was like just pink, uh, and I was like, nah. you know, because it, the, 
they they call it a color in in the short story because there's no earthly word that's capable of describing it. That's the, that's the closest they can get to approximate what it is because it's just this stuff and they just, they just end up calling it a color. But even then it's like nothing anyone's ever seen before. Um, uh, Princess Shiera, have you, was it good? That's my question. Cause I, cause when I heard uh, Nick Cage was going to be in it, I thought, okay, you know, he can, he can do some good, like mind melting freakouts. Michael, before you go too far with that, I want to, read some of the comments so anybody who's not actively viewing right now is caught up. Um, so let's see here. Um, Starship Troopers, we mentioned that. Danny says, I didn't like the adaptation for his dark materials on HBO. Had to watch like it's an alternate universe because several of the characters don't line up with the standard behaviors in the books. Part of that is the medium, part of that's creative licensing directing, and she weeps about the movie Golden Compass. Um, Jewel, good to see you. Lady Skipper has popped in, says, I've got all the cartoons of Starship Troopers. John mentions Dune, which we could sleep through that again if we need to. Um, <laughs> Robin says, I which mentioned version? Crichton before, but Sphere deserves a special mention. I feel the screenwriter missed the character and philosophical angles and the question if it was intentional. And then, yeah, Nick Cage is mentioned. Um, interesting to see Nick Cage in a Lovecraftian movie. Rabin refuses to acknowledge Dune. Supposedly when it works, we'll see. I agree. And Shira says, I have not seen it, but I know what you're talking about, Michael. I'll watch it and give you my best Siskel and Hebert review. Very good. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. Jones, I'm very uh, curious. Lady. Excellent. Any any comments um, on any of these? Uh, thank, thank you, Shira. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see uh what what it's like because i i think i did hear that someone someone quite enjoyed it so and this it is might, about it might his be... dark materials yeah oh no this is about uh this is about the color out of space thank you um but i i, I remember when i you know started reading a lovecraft collection and i was i was like i was thinking to myself because you know i i studied film and i and i was wondering how how i would you know try to adapt some of this stuff and you know what with color yeah. With this, I think we need to wait till we have VR movies where you put on the goggles because I feel like you need to have that presence yeah. behind you lurking the whole time. That tension you got it. It's so hard to do. Yeah. It's so well, hard. Hitchcock does suspension extremely well. Yeah. Hitchcock probably could have pulled off a Lovecraftian movie because uh, yeah. he builds yeah. that uh, without – it's not overwhelming fear. It's terror building in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. you're not scared in the moment. You're scared because everything's building up. Then again, yeah, I mean, box. This could it, this could be a whole topic on its on its on its own. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing. genre. Uh, Bird box. Oh, just not Lovecraftian and not an adaptation, but the way the tension built in that, where you constantly have this air of oppression of something's waiting, something's lurking, and I think bringing that into a Lovecraftian situation, but also. The descent into madness as you deal with something beyond what your mind can comprehend. I mm-hmm. feel that's a that's a heavy weight for a director and the actors to portray yeah. and to keep it cohesive where it's sellable. Um, perhaps right. an independent film might be better or hand it to an Asian film studio that does Asian horror. Oh, like The Ring. Yeah, like The Ring. Yeah, the there's some scary Grudge, stuff. Two Sisters. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry. Yeah, there's some, there's some scary stuff. Uh, I actually took one of my 
one of the fun classes I got to take in college was a, uh, a global horror class. So we got to look at how different countries uh, do horror and how at the time when these movies come out, it sort of signifies um, the fears of the time and the fears of that area. Sure. Um, and then for our final exam, we could either write a, a big old essay or we could create our own horror film. And uh, it inspired by one of the one of the uh, directors that that we watched. And, and I went kind of Hitchcockian with mine and I did a film called Blind Date. And, um, you know, that was that was a cool that was a cool. And that's that's the, that's the wonderful thing about is about horror is that it's always low budget or it's oftentimes low budget. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it creates it's an interesting problem solving mode that you get to be in and I, I i'd like to tell you a story about about how i how i did one of these shots um so uh so this is this is spoilers for my short film uh but there's there's an eye removal scene and um i did i did a a deep pov shot from inside uh the character's skull of his eye being removed so so you see the socket and the way we did that was I took a blood orange and I hollowed it out and then I put that up on the uh, <laughs> up on the lens like this. And then I had this this internal POV shot looking up at, um, you, you know, the uh, the 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 horror of, uh, of of who's who's doing this to, to that character and um, that 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 girl peering into <laughs> into the empty socket. It was awesome. Nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think you need to put that on your YouTube channel. We need to see that. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got it. I've, I'll put it. Um, Link it. Yeah. Should I send it? Please. How long it's is it, it? It's on another channel. It's. Uh, this will be exclusive to you guys, but uh, okay. this is. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up real well, quick. Well, he's doing that. Do we want to talk about Dune or Starship Troopers or Martian or is... Star Starship Troopers? Because uh, I think you and I are going to contrast on this one. Oh. Well, here's my thoughts on it. The movie is three and a half chapters out of the book, and it takes all the message out of it, all the political meaning. It's just it's three action chapters, and you lose the psychological oomph in, in the sense of society and, and what the book was actually pointing at that had action scenes in it. Okay. What's your thoughts, Eric? Um well, actually, because I know a little bit of history about this, Paul Verhoeven, uh, the same guy who did RoboCop uh, and a few other very successful action movies in the 80s, he wrote, directed this movie unrelated to the book. He never read the book. Wait, well, I... um, it is. Uh, no, no. Nope. We know he never wrote, uh, read it because friggin' it's unrelated. But um, it was originally pitched as something else. It's a uh, study on fascism. Uh, and they built this kind of world and this story arc, and then it was later noticed that it kind of lined up with Starship Troopers, so they licensed the book and overlaid it onto the movie. Um. They're unrelated works. Hmm. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of uh, so. I don't think yes, Peter those Jackson, three kind of action. Sequ- I don't think Peter Jackson read hmm? Lord of the Rings or Hobbit either. I think he watched the animated movies and went, "I could redo that." <laughs> well, no, no, but there was no animated or anything like that. There right. was nothing there. So Paul Verhoeven, he had this story based on fascism. He grew up friggin' in post World War II. Uh, I think it was Poland, uh-huh. um, and he's like, okay, I'm gonna make this sets it in the sci-fi. And uh, if you you can actually check it out on the uh, Wikipedia, but it's like the bugs of uh, 
um, Outpost 13 or some crazy name like that, um, and ends up buying the license rights to make the movie because he had already written the script and he didn't want to get sued. Real quick comment from Sapphire Fox here. Um, this is relating back to something we were talking about earlier. That's where video games have a unique way of telling a story. Good Lovecraft-inspired games, or just good horror games in general, can put you in the mind of the person with the creature lurking right behind you. Bonus, if it's in VR. That's Resident a, Evil. It's very good. Tempe? I do have a question way off of the topic here. Okay. Um, how, how are, what's the process to go to get a book made to a video game? Is there somebody that knows anything about that or a re place to reference where to go for that? Aaron, do you know something <laughs> that yeah. I don't know? Okay, so whatever IP you have, your intellectual property, and this gets into the business side, so an agent, a uh, literary agent or movie agent or whatnot can license it from you or uh, option it is what it's really going to do. And they're going to say, hey, I like your book. I want to make it into something. Uh, I don't know what. I'd like to buy the option for five years. Here's five grand, ten grand, two hundred and fifty bucks, or something. But they own the rights to make that for that amount of time with additional option years. Right. Um, Marvel sold off all the rights to their comic books when they were going bankrupt in the '90s, uh, which is why Sony, Fox, uh, and a variety of other people kind of own those rights Universal. and the characters. Universal, thank you. Um, they owned those rights to the characters, and then they slowly got them back as films were not being made. Yeah. Um, so Fantastic Four, the reason that last Fantastic Four um, came out was because Fox was trying to hold on to the rights. Yeah. Um, whereas you run into these other ones where um, Universal – sorry, Paramount – Paramount owns the rights to The Incredible Hulk, but not when Incredible Hulk appears in a team movie. So it's universal. They, can... they own the distribution rights. Yeah. Um, so, now, Michael, yeah, yeah. I, I've been giving that some thought lately, and I'm wondering if that's a route I might want to consider with a piece of work that I'm, you know, kicking around. It's interesting. So, I imagine it's the same. It's a similar process, just like Aaron said. You know, there's the option. Um, you might want to look into like entertainment lawyer. Uh, that's another term you might want to look up. Um, and then if you, if they have you on the project, then uh, creative consultant is probably a term that you would want to check out uh, for hey, yourself. Term. Yeah. Right. Right. I'm um, sorry. Completely off tangent. You're looking at five years production time minimum. Because of just right. everything that has to go into creating a video game. And also depends if you're looking at a ongoing MMO situation online or if you're looking at a single disc that somebody could pop in their console. This holiday season, we all wish for hope and healing. Children and families who spend their holidays at the hospital deserve a reason to believe in first steps, in giggles, high fives, and hugs. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided world-class care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to help patients and healthcare heroes this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday. That's childrensnational.org slash holiday. You know the old saying, selling like hotcakes? What does that even mean? What is a hotcake anyway? They should change it to selling like Hondas, because right now, Hondas are selling faster than ever. 
Probably because they're so rugged, long-lasting, and fuel-efficient. And if you want one, you should get to your local Honda dealer right away. Check out the 8-passenger pilot, or maybe the adventurous passport. But you gotta do it fast, because Hondas are selling like, well, Hondas. New models are arriving now. Don't wait. See your local Honda dealer today. Um, there'll be different production times and ongoing things as they add different money-making ways of adding, you know, value packs or extra material, um, or even continuing the story on if you've made more books where now an online game can give you that next additional material, whereas a console game would have to create a, another game for the next movie, which they have a lot of the groundwork. And, mm -hmm, go ahead. And the reason I ask that is because that's how The Witcher got made into a series. It was actually a video game. A book made into a video game and then into the series, well, which you know, is right, you yeah. to make the jump that because it's like, path. yeah, yeah, because it's not a path I would have considered. I would have always thought the video game would have come after the the series, but oh. to, to do that first and then jump to the series was an interesting path that Lots they of went. People didn't realize that it was a book before it was a video game because the video right. game was so popular. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Rabin says game development with IC is rough as mechanics and content should really be connected. So there's a little now, Mike. I saw you nodding a lot as Aaron was going on. Do you have more information to add to this? Well, I'm, I'm just I'm just remembering uh, parts of the process. I, I've met people that have been optioned at cons, and I asked them a few questions and and looked it up and learned some stuff. And option, optioning is, is, is the big term for, for anyone who, who's a writer who's uh, looking into that or anyone who's just interested in the behind the scenes of that. It's called, it's called uh, buying the option. So they have the option to make it. And so, some authors, they get scared if like the option is, is, is a low number, they're, they're, but it's just the option. And a lot of times what happens is when um, they, they buy it, they're basically reserving so that no one else can like swoop in on the property. And then when they go ahead and make it, um, there's a percentage that the original creator will get based on the size of the budget. Aaron? Yeah. Uh, on that note, uh, take a look at Winston Groom, okay, the guy that wrote Forrest Gump. Mm -hmm. um, you got to watch out between gross profits, gross revenue, um, payday as a creative consultant, um, yeah. net all these things because you've got things called Hollywood accounting uh, <laughs> where Hollywood, <laughs> well, Hollywood accounting is basically where, Hey, I'm a production studio, but I hire a print and advertising P and a firm that I own to advertise this. And then I upcharge that amount and it drops, it causes your budget to go way, way up so right. that you never actually make a profit in the movie. Forrest Gump has never made a profit. So Winston Groom never got paid on it. Wow, that's horrible. Well, he wrote the second book and he didn't sell it to him. So um, <laughs> it, that's that's kind of the trade-off. But as as artists, we've got our rights, our copyright on it, and you are voluntarily giving up those rights, selling those rights, doing these things. You got to read, read the contract. Yeah, you got to you got to be very careful about that. Quick side note: this book and this world. At one point in time, I was approached by a, a group of co-workers who were geeks who wanted to make an MMO out of this, and we actually started developing that. But because people oh, cool. are young and easily distracted, it never came to fruition. But yeah, that was something 15 years ago I was looking at. Well, here's an interesting... Yeah, it, it, it is interesting that even if you get... Um, 
if you if you get an option that that's ongoing, it could be great marketing. Um, like a, a great a great story about that. Uh, do you, you remember um, Rick Riordan's Percy Jackson and the Olympians? Mm-hmm. That, yes. Yeah, you know this story. So he uh, so he comes out with this book that I think he wrote m- mainly because he wanted something to read to his kid, and uh, and then fairly quickly he was approached by some scouts who said, "Hey, you know, uh, we think we can do something with this down the road." Um, so, so and he thinks, yeah, you know, I've never, uh, I don't, I don't think I'll get this opportunity again. So he he signs a contract and they buy the rights. With that marketing, he puts, you know, soon to be big motion picture, and and that helps this 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 upswell. This that that gets it insanely popular really fast. It takes a while for the movie to come out, and then eventually the movie comes out and it's not super well received. But the fact that it was going going to be that it was in talks to be made into a film at all was excellent marketing and it, it was kind of this like circular effect of uh of, of bring of bringing the book up so wheel of time it became popular as a situation of... where mm. wheel of time a very popular fantasy series uh by robert jordan and finished by brandon sanderson had sold their movie rights and nothing was done with it and literally in the last 24 hours at 2 a.m., with no announcement, the company who owned it put some crap hour-long thing out on some vague channel wow. going, oh, we did something with it, we still have these rights, we get to continue owning this, because we did that. Um, yep. Well, there was a bad Fantastic Four movie of the 80s that did that, too. There right. Was. There um, A couple of comments real quick, if I may. Um, Rabbit says I've developed or I've dabbled in game development. It's a fascinating field and parallels writing in many ways. Danny says, "Oh, cool! MMOs are hard to make. When you have the lore and universe ready to go, it does make it a lot easier. But then you have to figure out mechanics, mm-hmm. and that's where things get even more interesting." So mm-hmm. other things, because mm-hmm. we have complained so much about adaptations, let's focus on that for the last twenty minutes. What's uh, Aaron? Did you finish your thoughts on Starship Troopers? Oh, well, Starship Troopers, uh, Starship Troopers, the movie, delivers what it promises to deliver. It's a movie that's thematically about fascism. If you take a look at all those, uh, the advertisements that take place in it, they're shot-for-shot ads of Nazi Germany. Um, It's one of those, once you separate the movie from the book, the book is great on its own. I love the book, but you go back and read it now, it's kind of dry. If you watch the movie, not not having read the book... It delivers what it promises. Right. It, it, it Now, when you link the two together artificially, oh, they're horrible. They're right. both horrible. People that like the book don't like the movie. People that like the movie don't like the book. Um, but that comes into the licensing and selling the rights and things like that. Um, but I guarantee that movie sold a lot of books. Yeah. Now, how and about, that book sold a lot of movie tickets. How about Dune? Do we want to, does anybody have strong opinions or any opinions on Dune before we jump into other stuff? I have I, I have no opinion. I have on watched Dune. multiple it, it versions. Hard, Go ahead, Aaron. Uh, it was a hard read. It was. Uh, when I don't get me wrong, it was groundbreaking at the time, but it's a hard read now, and it, I don't under. I think the nostalgia factor really came into play when they made the multiple movies off of it. Right. Our Sting version, friggin' um, okay, yeah, they were taking advantage of oh, best-selling novel. But the repeat mm-hmm. of it, eh, somebody owned the rights and wanted to put it out. It's it's good in its way, but you you can only do so much with the material that's out there. Well, they're redoing it again, so yeah, we'll see about that. 
By the way, a quick <laughs> yeah, shout out for Danny here. She says, I've written video game missions for MMOs and I'm working on a visual novel. Ideally, you write both of uh -huh. those more like a script than a novel. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, oh, you're right. Word. Word says Dune is written more like a textbook than a novel. Okay. So any other ones we want to just really rant about? We can touch on Lord of the Rings where they pulled. Uh, it, Lord of the Rings is a great example because Lord of the Rings is done very, very well, but it pulls in stuff that's not there. Right. And then you look at The Hobbit, which is a horrible example because they pull in stuff that's not there. Right. Well, they pulled uh, some stuff from, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce it. I always do the similarity. Yeah, similarity. It's very similar. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and that was his almost textbook of his world. It was all the backstory and crap and history that he wrote and set aside kind of as his personal notes. And they put it out there almost. Oh, and you are. Go ahead. Uh, you're a fool if you don't call your expanded works the Sivart Relian. <laughs> ah, good. It's uh, I have all that behind me on the shelf uh, where you see all the three ring binders just full of different. Which which side is it on? I don't know if it shows on camera, but yeah, um, they also left a ton of stuff out of Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings and MMO is fantastic though. Uh, where my problem with the uh, Lord of the Rings MMO is the color palette. It is all earth tones, and it's hard to separate things visually. I wish they had been a little more dramatic in their colorization of it. Um, that was actually my biggest complaint about the game itself. Mm. But, Contrast is important. Oh, yeah. I mean, take a look at, uh, and just to delve into that for just a half a second, your your WoWs are very color-centric. Your EverQuest had a, a great color palette across expansions. Uh, Lord of the Rings kind of set it into a, a realistic world. Bring your mic up. Oh, sorry. Uh, it set it into a realistic world, but that doesn't work well inside that medium because it's hard to see, especially if you're playing in a dark room uh, with a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Had to be Chris. Um, so let's see here. What other stuff? Tempe, what movies or series have you just uh, cringed with? Um, honestly, I... If I read the book, I don't usually go see the movie and vice versa. Does that make sense? Something I said you know, is I, I'll always watch the movie first now because the book is so much yeah. more. It fills in the world for me. Um, right. Which sometimes works against mm -hmm. me because then you have the, visually, the visualization of those actors as the characters in the book and it doesn't meld well. Yeah. Um, and it and it throws the whole thing off if if a character's described one way in the book, and then it's total that person is totally different in the movie. It's all you can focus on throughout the entire thing, and it's just yeah. like I, I can't you know it's not worth it. So I try not to do that a lot now. I'm telling everyone else read my books and then watch the TV series when it comes out. <laughs> It's not something I usually do. Um, but, you know, I don't, honestly, I don't take that time for myself to go that much. I go see a few movies. I'll go see a Bond movie when it comes out. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the few movies I will go see. Um, but it has to be something that really, really interests me before I'll even go to the movie theater to watch something. So, especially now that my kids are older and where I can, you know, where I have to go with them. <laughs> What about I you love know? how you say theater. Theater. <laughs> the cinema. 
the cinema. <laughs> so what about uh, you, Michael? Anything? It's a great point. Go ahead, Aaron. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, it's, it's great that she brings up James Bond because we've had, what, 30 different movies with 30 different portrayals of this of this classic character in addition to the books that came out. Um, and it's Daniel Craig is a different Bond than Sean Connery was. Right. Um, and then George Lares, uh, Lazenby. Friggin', they all were great in their own right. Um, and the world kind of shifts and changes as we're doing it. Uh, I went through and I read some of the James Bond novelizations during that gap uh, where they weren't making anything. Uh, not the Ian Fleming ones, but some of the other ones that right. were done uh, we're after him. Fleming. Uh, hey, that's right. He's dead. <laughs> no, no. We're out of his books. Oh, yeah. That too. <laughs> um, but uh, you get this James Bond who isn't necessarily the same womanizer that you see on the screen. Not that Daniel Craig is either. He's kind of the lost love type based on his first movie moving forward. Um, but they shifted him back into this kind of action-centric role because eh, writing by committee would be my guess. And, and you know one that I may actually go back and read the book that they made uh, a, a series out of? I may go back and read The Night Manager because I feel like that I probably missed a lot that's in the book that wasn't on screen. Um, and that was with Tom Hiddleston and Hugh Lowry that was out on TNT a couple of years ago. And it was a really good series, but I feel like there's probably a lot more that I missed. So I may actually pull that one up and read it. That makes sense. Danny says, I read the book first because I don't want the preconception from the screen. Someone else's imaginative interpretation. Same thing with music videos. I listen to the song first, so I have a chance to visualize on my own before I see how someone else has visualized it. With music videos, what I love is when you have a song that you like and you enjoy it and you imagine these things, and then the video has a whole other layer of story on top of it that it, it's woven through the song. And Fox says, I like both unless one of them is just awful, but I typically view them as separate entities, which I think is wise especially since there are really different ways to translate the same ideas. Things that work with a book won't work for a movie and vice versa. And I think that's, I think of Marvel Comics for this. Um, we had the mm -hmm. comics that I grew up with, and in the 90s we had multiple TV series. I'll use X-Men as an example. You had the <laughs> Right. And I remember people bitching when the movies came out, they're like, it's not like the cartoon. And I'm like, but the cartoon's not like the comics. And then we have the mm -hmm. reiteration, the rebirth of X-Men with First Class. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided exceptional care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to give children and healthcare heroes a reason to believe this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday. You know the old saying, selling like hotcakes? What does that even mean? What is a hotcake anyway? They should change it to selling like Hondas, because right now, Hondas are selling faster than ever. Probably because they're so rugged, long-lasting, and fuel-efficient. And if you want one, you should get to your local Honda dealer right away. Check out the 8-passenger pilot, or maybe the adventurous passport. But you gotta do it fast, because Hondas are selling like, well, Hondas. New models are arriving now. Don't wait. See your local Honda dealer today. Which I think was really well done for the first couple movies, and now the later ones is just so special effect packed it's kind of like mm, i'm it's not about the characters anymore it's about let's make something well the technology's catching up i think 
Yeah, well, I, I think because the technology is catching up, they're, they're skimping on the storyline, which that was something about the X-Men comics is you did have characters and their lives and their events, and, and that's what you clung to. They just happen to have superpowers. Right. His future past was so good. Did you like it? The that story was, or the... Uh, the, uh, the movie adaptation. Okay. I, I know that's very different because, um, you know... Uh, Wolverine is very involved, but Wolverine sells, and they did a good job of making him important in the film, and uh, and Mystique as well in that film. Right. It's uh. Yeah, it, uh, that was a great adaptation. They're completely separate stories. Yeah. Um, I, in the first one, Kitty Pride goes back to before she had the, her mental uh, blocks, if you will. Mm-hmm. There, uh, in the movie, we've got Wolverine going back to a previous version of himself yeah. um, to stop Project all this. Well, in the original one, you had Kitty Pride going forward in the comics. No, well, no, no. Uh, it was old Kitty Pride goes back. Okay. Mm. I just remember Ileana uh, with the portals in the 80s opening up to the future where we have the concentration camps. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I didn't... Yep, that's the, that's the opening of the story, yep. Okay, mm-hmm. I remember that. I didn't remember the older Kitty Pride, but it has been... 35 years or so. Yeah. So since I read it, it's a, uh... so yeah, I think whether it's music, videos, comics, books, it's important to walk in expecting it to be different and cherish the similarities instead of condemning the differences. Um... Oh yeah. Um, well, Emmy freaking my wife, my mm-hmm. lovely wife of 20, uh, some odd years. Um, she just reread Ready Player One. Uh, she read it immediately prior to going seeing the movie, and then was mad because there's nothing the same. Right. She's like, "Why did I read this? It wasn't that the movie was bad or the book was bad. It was just that they were so different that they may as well be right. well completely uh, unrelated." What's his name? The director um, that did Back to the Future. What's his name? Aaron Michael Tempe. Uh, Zemeckis. Zemeckis. He purposely pulled a lot of the references out because the book referred to a lot of his material and his movies. And he felt like he was building his own shrine to himself. And he's like, I don't want all of I don't want the movie to be about my work. I want it to be about this. But, yeah, I haven't read the book. I I am curious about it. A good book then, Aaron, I'm guessing. It's enjoyable. Uh, it's good because it makes all these references to pop culture and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very simple story. It's a fast read. Um, it's nice. enjoyable. Um, but thematically, it is exa- thematically it's the same as the movie. Content-wise, it is not. Okay. And it so, came out fairly recently, right? Yeah. Uh, it's one of the older ones. Uh, the book itself is probably five, ten years old, I think. I think like twenty. 2005, maybe? And by the way, that writer's success story is a, is a writer's wet dream. Basically, he hadn't finished the book, sent it off to multiple publishing companies. They got into a bidding war over it. It was purchased, yeah. and before he finished the book, they had sent it off to Hollywood, and it got into another bidding war, and it was his first book. Interesting. Um, yeah, uh, 2011, by the way, on that one. 2011. See, that's not, that's not too long ago. No, no, but that is... Um, yeah. Um, there was an interesting. There's a similar situation with the hundred. Does anyone watch the hundred on the CW? Oh, I gave up on the hundred after last season. It I was tell you so what, so bad last season. 
season. I tell you what, I love that show. <laughs> that, I that loved show. it till last season. <laughs> so much happened. You, you, you and me should talk about that show. Um, hey. I watch. I watch it with my mom. Go ahead. That show, so much happened. I watched um, it with my son. He's the one that got me started on it. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, after last season, he and I both just gave up on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, 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 I was cool with it. They they changed stuff up between every season so much, and I was I was enjoying it because I, I was watching a lot of shows at the time that uh, were very slow. Mm-hmm. And this show, it's like it's like guess what? Boom, boom, boom! Three people are dead. Boom, boom! These people are in a relationship, and it's like it's like whoa! They're eating each other now. They're eating each other. <laughs> it's so fun. Oh man, I, I, I love way, I love guessing. Uh, I love geeking out on that. But the interesting thing about that is that, um, similar to Ready Player One, the uh, the rights to the film, I think I think it happened. And I, I think I'm remembering this right, that um, the author submitted it to a contest. And uh, within the contest, one of the judges, it was like just a literary contest, but one of the judges had a connection to a uh, film and they wanted to buy the rights before the book was out. So they bought the rights and they had basically like a, a part of the book and the concept, I think. And then they went ahead making it based on that concept. But what the book was, was more, I think more of a romantic kind of like love triangle kind of thing. And, um, and like episode two, one of the main characters is, is just dead. Right. Uh, in, in the film and, and, and what the, what the film version turned into, what the TV series turned into is like this high stakes sci-fi, uh, uh, thing with lots of drama, uh, <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. So it's, it's two completely separate entities and um yeah like so that's a remake. really interesting example of like from concept like even before it was done gestating like i think the first season the first half of the first season covers the first two books and and then from then on it's a completely different show it's very much based on what's the one where the kids take over uh what's the name of that lord book of the flies? you know from lord of the flies it's, well, it starts out very lord of the flies and uh, these kids are having to survive from space coming down to Earth after it's been, you know, nobody's been on it for years and years and years because mm-hmm. of, was it radioactive? Right. Radiation. Heads or Clear something. fallout. Yeah. It felt yeah. like Wally meets yeah. Ro- Lord of the Flies. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, it was, the first few seasons were really, really good and I was caught up in them. But last season I was just like... I know so few people who, who really like the show, but I find it so much fun. And it's, uh, it's coming back again in a couple of weeks. It's the last season. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah. I'll have to work myself up for it, I guess. <laughs> I also, I, I, I like the, I like the style of, um, of post-apocalypse and where, or like dystopian where it's so far in the future that it's a second past. So like at, at a certain point it was like, there were these kingdoms and stuff, but they still had, you know, cars and guns and, but, but it was, it felt very medieval. Cars so, that run. Cars yeah, that run. <laughs> yeah. But the, the show moves too quick to worry about it. So <laughs> people are dying. People are eating each other. <laughs> and if I can read a couple comments here. Uh, Danny says, I watch it on Netflix, but it's one of those shows where I want to smack many people upside the head. And she. Uh, Understandable. Word says for 100, I got partway through the second season before I got bored with the show. And Danny says, these are crazy neat paths for an author to take, though. And they are. And that brings us back to the root for yeah. the last five minutes. Um, yeah, it's 
as as writers, I think any of us would be pleased to be approached with such a thing. Now, what happens from there doesn't mean we won't lead to heartbreak, frustration, or celebration. But <laughs> Look at her. I don't know what that means. Is that I have one goal. <laughs> Aaron is a whore. Aaron, approach me. Twenty bucks is twenty bucks. Yeah. Here's what I will say: If anything of mine does get made, something I want to work into the contract is I am allowed to air interviews like sitting around a table having dinner with directors or stars or whatever, or even if I can't air it, just to be able to sit in a room with these people that we've seen on the screen and interact with them on a real level and see how much they match character personalities that they've played before and how real they are. You know, the comparison between Tom Cruise, from what I understand, is very much like Tom Cruise in the movies. He's a bit of a, a bit of a dick. Um, you know, I hear the same thing about Bruce Willis, and then you hear about these other people who are just like I've heard Sandra Bullock on podcasts before, and she is a just a sweetheart, and I would love to be able to have that experience. Or I'd love to have a dinner with Stephen King and George R.R. R. Martin because I've seen them interviewing each other on one thing, which you can find that on YouTube, and that is delightful as they ask questions of each other comparing, well, like we do here, but it's those guys that we all know by name and face and work. Uh, question for Tempe. Tempe? Okay. Is that one goal, Henry and Tom staying over during the filming? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> let's, just, uh, let's just say that. I'll tell you what, I would make them <laughs> And breakfast. I might even hire a cook for the night. Yeah. I don't know. I'd do it for the story. <laughs> Actually, Henry can cook. Henry can cook. I he's been posting all these pictures Henry's of all this stuff. Henry's gonna cook for cooking. you. <laughs> I'm like, wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> See, and that would be great. That's also, cool. just imagine that evening with these with these folks. You know, on any level, it's not even you know, just to interact and get their points of views. And you know, if they've read the books versus what they're producing right now, or played the video game or whatever, and to get their feedback on that sort of thing and. I don't know. I think that'd just be put, put him to work, says Danny. Um, that, <laughs> Absolutely. That would just be amazing fun. Any closing thoughts on the topics? Aaron? Just one. Uh, every interpretation. I don't like, I don't want to use the word adaptation because it, it's got a, it leads you down a path. It's one of those, oh, this is the original and this is that. Every interpretation, uh, can be valid in some way or form um it we grab shoot almost any of these things um i remember reading the novelization of uh episode one of star wars um and i hate that movie absolutely hate the movie but the novelization gives me so much more context and things like that and that was written after the guy already read the script Mm. um so he inserts things that we can't see there um from a book perspective, and we see that also take place in the movie or the the visual medias. Um, there's some great comic books that do that as well. Uh, what is it? Umbrella Academy's out there right now, and it's not the same uh, there, but it's great. Or friggin', uh, we mentioned series of unfortunate events, uh, Harry Potter's, and you will get people that are eh, movies, books, movies, book, that kind of thing. But they're all great in their own kind of right. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it reminds me, I had read this uh, fairly recently, and, and I forgot who said it, but um, that everyone's everyone's experience of a book is unique to them. Because this is this is a this is an entertainment that's beamed right into your mind and then blended with your own experiences and so and so everyone's uh, mental movie is something that's that's totally unique which is which is really which is really neat with literature. Um, so with with film, it's kind of like that incarnation. It, it's that interpretation, like like you said, Aaron. And um, I remember when uh, I had those those actors read uh, my script my play. And they cut out a whole section. And I really like what they did. I, I, I kind of liked how it flowed without that section. So uh, when I eventually rewrite it and, and publish it, I, I think I'm going to uh, uh, you know, take, take a – yeah, fo- follow that, that beat, follow that pacing. Because um, it's interesting. You'll, you'll never know what uh, – when, when, you, when, you, when you allow it to enter someone else's mind and then, and then, and then be played back for you, it, it's, it's kind of a neat thing and see how people uh, – interpret your characters can be any so, closing thoughts um yeah it, like like mike michael said it's it's a fine line what i see in my mind is not necessarily what some people will see in their mind but i figure you know what is the writer it's my playground <laughs> <laughs> for my that's cl- what i'm going for <laughs> for my closing thoughts i'll say remember it's all about the money um Without that warning sign, it's all about budget, it's all about money, and that is something somebody else is controlling. And I want to read a few comments and and just really say thumbs up to our community right here that's joining us after reading these comments. So Danny says, absolutely, there's so many perspectives on writing I'd love to mind. I was able to sit down with Gaiman about 10 years ago, and that was just the coolest ever. Word says, I got to talk to David Drake for a while. We had a great conversation about how much light in the hotel elevators sucked. Um, by the way, Danny does clarify, uh, he was here for a poetry slam and I stayed late because I moved slow and ended up at dinner. Conventions have been fun for meeting people, but there's all, not always an opportunity for craft talk. So, yeah, cherish the moments right now that we're all experiencing, no matter what the future brings success or the other side of it um and just appreciate these small moments that we're getting right now because we don't know which one of the the four of us or all of us will be at where we'll be in 10 years and we are interacting with danny and word and john and all these others and we don't know where they'll be um so remember your community remember the joys we had talking to each other as we work towards our goals. So good night, everybody. Let's do some closing music. You guys are awesome. Thanks for coming. Get out of here. Oh, join us tomorrow night. Stealing for Survival. D&D. Very different show. Join us again soon, and until you do... Make sure you create with passion, enjoy the journey, and remember, every night can be right. <laughs> Follow all the writers on their social media, guys. Good night, everybody. 
This holiday season, we all wish for hope and healing. Children and families who spend their holidays at the hospital deserve a reason to believe in first steps, in giggles, high fives, and hugs. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided world-class care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to help patients and healthcare heroes this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday. That's childrensnational.org slash holiday.